Welcome to The Word is Resistance, a lectionary-based podcast exploring what the Bible has to say about making sense of life under empire, about what the Bible has to say about building movements that resist structures of evil, particularly the evil of white supremacy. How might these holy words strengthen us, challenge us, and invite us to the work of liberation in our time? This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. My name is Claire Brown. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm a spouse and mom, a writer, facilitator, and an Episcopal priest. I live and work in Eastern Cherokee and Creek Territory in Chattanooga, Tennessee, named from the Creek word for a nearby mountain, Lookout Mountain in English. The word Chattanooga means rock rising to a point. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith as a resource for white people doing the work of dismantling white supremacy as part of our faith in Jesus Christ. If you are someone tackling the responsibility to challenge systems of oppression, including those racist oppressions within the Christian tradition, We hope that this podcast is a helpful tool and space for exploration. This is not a white-only space, and we welcome feedback and accountability from listeners of color always. Before we turn to the texts this week, I invite you to pray with me for a moment of silence, which I will conclude with the collect from the Book of Common Prayer for the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany. O God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers. And because in our weakness we can do nothing good without you, give us the help of your grace, that in keeping your commandments we may please you both in will and deed, through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. As I've mentioned here before, The Book of Common Prayer is connected with white supremacy and colonization through the Anglican enmeshment with British Empire and Episcopal enmeshment with U.S. American Empire. As most religious texts have been, its words have been used to oppress, to commodify, to avoid responsibility. But, but, this book is also full of creative and gritty hope. It also represents visions of new ways to be together in God, and communicates, to a legacy of grace and freedom. This week's readings, as cued by the Collect, can be understood as a teaching on how to follow the commandments of God by the grace of God. What does it mean to follow this path, to take on these teachings and traditions, and make a life that is in line with the love and liberation of God? We are in Epiphany, the liturgical season of being surprised by the revealing of Christ in unexpected places. And so we turn with curiosity to our tradition and texts. We wonder and we seek out ways that the liberating, life-giving presence of Jesus is at work in and through them, leading us to freedom through this instruction and rule of life.
Today's Old Testament or Hebrew Bible lesson is from Deuteronomy chapter 30. It starts with a stark choice, a pivotal moment of identity making as the people of Israel are on the cusp of moving into their promised homeland. Deuteronomy is thought by many scholars to have been written in the 17th, 7th century, excuse me, 7th century, much later than the timing of the story itself. The later authorship date corresponds to religious reforms thought to have been under King Josiah, described in 2 Kings 22 and 23. In that time and culture, there was no distinction between the religious and the political. This book is a retelling of the laws, weaving God's commands into the story of the people and affirming that God is their sole king, protector, and the identity of God's people. Deuteronomy is a call to remember the deepest truths of God's justice and calling, and this week's section is part of the rhetorical conclusion to this retelling of the laws. The text begins at verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, and then it goes on in verses 19 and 20, choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him. These verses make a big claim on the audience, asking for love and the faithfulness of walking along with obedience. The two sets of instructions on how to follow the commands, how to follow in God's life and flourishing, recall the previous, maybe more familiar command of the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which calls the people of God to love God with all their heart, soul, and strength. God's people in Judah, under the reign of Josiah, are being called back to who they are. They are being reminded that obedience to the ways and commands of divine love and justice is not just compliance. It's transformation. It's not just doing one set of behaviors or refraining from others. It's about becoming a people. It's about a way of being. The gospel reading picks up in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the fifth chapter of Matthew's gospel. These scriptures hold a repeated rhythm as Jesus starts off by telling the folks, you have heard that it was said, and then offering an even more challenging principle for living. You have heard that it was said. You have heard not to murder, but I say, don't be angry or insulting to others. I say, go right away and tend to your reconciliation. You have heard not to commit adultery, but I say, don't objectify one another. I say, take care not to treat others with the violence of possession. Take care not to fracture communities. You have heard 
not to swear falsely. I say, keep your words simply. Don't offer what you can't be sure of. Now, these texts can be interpreted in such a way as to separate Jesus from his Jewishness, setting his teachings against prior ones. And this is especially easy when the lectionary divides up this chapter of Matthew. But this teaching isn't oppositional to Torah. It's expository. It's a callback. It's a remembering, not a dismantling. Because just last week in the lectionary, in verse 17, we heard, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Particularly for those of us who read, reflect, teach, preach, or discuss this passage for our communities. Let's be mindful of the ways that Matthew's gospel is very sincerely connected to the Jewish story and how the explanation of the law that Jesus offers is in line with his own tradition. Again and again, this gospel writer wants to depict Jesus as a figure of Moses, and here is no exception. These instructions on the mountain are challenging, almost exhausting in how thorough they are. Because like the words of Moses offered in Deuteronomy, they make a claim on all of our being, not only our behavior. They call us to transformation, not compliance. Now I do want to pause here for a moment and address a pastoral concern in this text. I don't know what your Bible says, but my subheadings put into Matthew 5 by translators and editors say concerning adultery and concerning divorce. And then there's all this talk about hellfire. Some of us hear or read those words like a punch in the gut. And I know I am not the only one who has been victimized by these words. These words that are so often used to bludgeon, exclude, and condemn women, LGBTQ folk, and people who have been divorced. There are layers of cultural context and scholarly debate around these words. But the one thing worth holding on to from these sections is the core principle that Jesus is challenging folks who treat others as an object. Jesus is challenging any who would see sex and relationship as a form of power over others, challenging them to remember the dignity of every human being. So you might be thinking, thanks, Reverend Claire, for the deep dive. This is all well and good, but what does this have to do with dismantling racism and fighting injustice? Well, I think it has a lot to do with it. A few years ago, another podcaster on The Word is Resistance, the Reverend Margaret Ernst, introduced me to Adrienne Marie Brown's incredible book, Emergent Strategy, Shaping Change, Shape Changing Worlds. One of the standout pieces of this writing is the concept of the fractal in the social change approach of emergent strategy. Brown writes, a fractal is a never-ending pattern. Fractals are infinitely complex, 
patterns that are self-similar across different scales. They are created by repeating a simple process over and over in an ongoing feedback loop. Self-similar across different scales. The fractal repetition is a mathematic principle seen in nature, but we also see that it is a human principle. It is an image that opens up a way of thinking about how our movements and our politics need deep integrity. We need transformation, not compliance. The work of resisting systems of oppression, particularly for those of us with some level of privilege and power in those systems, has to be a transformation. It is both an inner soul work and an outward social movement. Without transformation in leadership or policy, we can be so easily ripped apart with a hateful backlash to change. Without transformation, our communities and movements replicate the power and patterns of white supremacy, homophobia, sexism, ableism, and classism. Without transformation, we can easily settle on a static vision of a better future and then refuse to listen, to change or adjust. We refuse to be taught. A friend of mine, another white pastor doing work of anti-racism, recently posted on Facebook a comment that his racism is like muscle memory. White supremacist, cishet patriarchy is so deeply conditioned in him that no matter his intellectual and spiritual commitments, it seems to resurface, to take the wheel, to flex through his body, mind, and spirit. It's muscle memory. To take on the work of resisting empire, resisting our own warped power and privilege, we need the encompassing vision of an ethical community that is present in this week's readings. We need to believe that justice can occur only when it is a fractal, the same across scale reflected inside and out. We have to develop new muscle memories through deep soul work so that our actions, our strategies, our organizing, our proclamation stems from a deeper healing, a deeper integrity. In his commentary on this passage, New Testament scholar and Latinx Baptist pastor Eric Barreto writes, in the end, to what are these commandments calling us? Not to a checklist of morality, but to a flourishing of life. Not to a baseline of decency, but to an embodied, relational, transformative encounter with all whom we meet. Not to a sufficient set of hurdles for righteousness, but to a path of wholeness with creature and creator alike. Today, I want to leave us with a call to action that is actually a call to active reflection. Is there a place in our lives or communities or organizations that need some healing and realignment? Is there a place in your life or community or organization where God's justice and love want to make a deeper claim? 
Is there a place where you've been striving for compliance but are actually being beckoned to transformation? May we remember the life and prosperity that God has set before us. May we be courageous to follow the fractal, to allow ourselves to be transformed within and without in this work of justice. A whole people becoming transformed. Amen. Thank you for listening today. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org. Our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search The Word is Resistance. The transcript will include all the exegetical resources I used today and a few other resources as well. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter or join the conversation by commenting on SoundCloud. Next week, we will hear from the Reverend Ann Dunlap. Thank you, as always, to Max, our sound editor. And peace be with you all.